Hi, and welcome to the Code First Girls podcast. I'm Anna Brailsford, the CEO of Code First Girls. Now, today we're talking about everything artificial intelligence. And artificial intelligence is not the future, it is very much the present. From predictive text in your emails to the Netflix recommendation algorithm, you are interacting with AI and machine learning multiple times every single day. And companies rely on it to increase their efficiency. The sector is literally generating millions of new jobs every year. But unfortunately, it's not a very diverse field. According to research from Wired, only 12% of leading researchers in machine learning are women. To dig into this issue and shine a light on some of the facts and figures around the field, today I'm delighted to have Manisha Mystery with us, who is the Portfolio Director of Digital Culture and Collaboration at Rolls-Royce R-Squared Data Labs. Hello, Manisha, and how are you doing today? Hello, Anna. I'm fantastic, thank you. I'm really good. Amazing. Now, um, R-Squared Data Labs is a part of Rolls-Royce. It would be fantastic to learn more uh, specifically about what R-Squared Data Labs actually does. Sure, no problem. So think of us as a data innovation catalyst that sits within a large industrial organization. When I am talking about Rolls-Royce, it is about the engine maker, not the car maker. So we're really centered on helping Rolls-Royce um, make use of all of the industrial data it gains, whether it be through its supply chain, that that it produces itself in testing, manufacture, design, procurement, and that of the servicing of engines. So when it's out actually operating and within the product sets that we do. Um, and what we're trying to do is take the, the industrial data that that generates and really start to work it hard make it draw insights and enable us to either do predictions, provide new services that give better customer experience, or actually in, improve internal performance um, and processes so that we can get things to our customers quicker, cheaper, and more reliably. So let's uh, talk about some definitions here, because, because clearly this is very, very uh, important to our Square Data Labs, but, but also uh, to Rolls-Royce. What are um, AI and machine learning? Can can we use these terms interchangeably? So let's start with um, what they are, and I'm going to use um, a very high level definition because I think you can you can go really deep quite quickly. So for me, certainly, artificial intelligence is really it's quite essentially an area of computer science that centres around that notion of. How can you build smart machines capable of replicating tasks that typically require human intelligence? So how can you have something digitally do what you might do? Um, whereas machine learning is the form of AI, it's an aspect within artificial intelligence itself. It, that doesn't sit in its own entity, as it were. Um, and so machine learning is really a maths-based kind of approach of enabling that self-learning from data and then applies that learning without the need of human intervention. So to put that into context, think about medical diagnosis or image processing. It's taking what that constitutes, the engineering values of that, and then generates an output by predicting um, and learning how to predict accurately based on those values. And what goes into a machine learning system? If we just look at the, the bigger process, I think that, that will help kind of answer the question you're asking. So typically, 
for machine learning to be in place, what you need is a, a large data set or data sets in plural um, and an, obje um, an objective or an area that you're looking to replicate or optimize. So this is something that's already happening that you've been doing a long time that requires human intelligence. And ultimately you want to replicate it and then improve upon it. So what you're doing is you're creating a model which could either have engineered features. So these are things to help it learn. And this is known as classic machine learning. Or you actually say there's no features whatsoever. And so you're asking um, your model, your algorithm to learn on its own. And that's kind of more of your modern day machine learning. And so as you chuck through your training data, um, what you're getting it to do is learn by observing patterns. And then it provides those predictions as an output. And those outputs are stored and its method of having come up with those outputs are stored and refined and tweaked as you put more learning data through it. The goal here is just about trying to get it to recognize those patterns and in essence formulate a known input into a known output, replicating what you would do as a human. Um, and that's how you're training that model. So it's made up of different parts. Um, but as you can see, they need the more to come together for the machine learning aspect of the algorithm to work. It feels to me as though we're on the sort of cusp with machine learning of, in terms of its application in everyday society. And I'm just wondering maybe if you could comment on that from a personal perspective. How important do you think machine learning is right now to our society in terms of some of the products that are being created? I think it's it's incredibly vital. It's almost, I mean, it's what you said at the beginning. You know, you think about some of the day-to-day -day activities we do, and actually, we don't even think twice anymore. I was born of a generation where the internet came in, um, and that's me showing my age probably there, but we almost wanted to understand how it all worked, and we came from a walk where it never existed, whereas now it's born, it's expected. And with that then comes a sense of, needing to make sure that it's reflective of the society as a whole. And I think there's a real presence of mind here that we know as, uh, as a company in our own right, but also as um, a, a race and as a nation, um, that there's data being collected everywhere, you know, in all sorts of ways and means. And so how is that then being built to give us more informed choices or to make things easier is quite quite important because if it's not full and fulfilled in the data sets then it's not representative of all of us then actually could it be messaging or signaling choices that we wouldn't ordinarily make because actually in our world that that feature as we called it earlier wouldn't exist and so i think when we're going down the relevance and the importance of um, machine learning and the approaches that are being taken, we really need to start to look more at understanding how are we thinking of what inputs are coming in, what are the data sets actually containing, before we're worrying about what the output is that's being produced. Because one will inform the other, as ultimately machine learning and AI isn't intelligent. It's not it's not a human. It doesn't have that forward thinking that we have. It doesn't have a basis to learn from that we drive ourselves. It still needs input. It still needs to be checked. Mm -hmm. I've had the privilege of working with both yourself and, and Caroline within R Squared for a while now. It's, it's undeniable that, that you're a really fun team. This is an incredibly fun and exciting place to work. How, how does that feel from a personal perspective to be to be working in this type of field and 
is it fun? Is it is it something that, that you love doing? Yeah, absolutely. I know that when I talk to peers and friends and family and and others who want to find out more and explain some of the things we're doing, you can already see that they're that they're just questioning how to get involved. How can they get in? In you know, become part of a, a team like ours or create that actually more importantly and get a sense of that in what they do themselves this comes up time and time again i've i've been at several conferences where we've talked about this why is diversity particularly important in machine learning and artificial intelligence so i'll go back to the point i made before that if you don't if your data does isn't representative of all aspects of what you encounter and what it might encounter as a whole then what you already have is biases playing in and those biases can actually be really really detrimental i mean we've seen it in facial recognition in the police um, and that how their system was so biasly trained because of the data that it went in and it was it wasn't even acknowledged and that's because again we as humans have our biases too and it's no different in understanding new opportunities as well because if we're not if we're not allowing for that flexibility in how you're uh, your algorithm is learning um, and there's some some ways of doing this around mutating your data for example so that when it's training it's picking up and learning through things that are actually maybe hiding bits for them um, so you know pixelating stretching adding noise for example um, or it could be shown in the way that it's um, overfitting so another another aspect is that it's not learning enough or it's it's already made assumptions because it's chucked through all of the data and it's not got any new data to learn from to give it alternative perspectives and if I reflect back that's no different to our way of working that's no different to us living and and operating in the different spaces that we do we learn through other people's experiences and lenses and we have to treat it the same if you really want it to reflect human intelligence We've we've heard, I'm sure, uh, in the press, you know, numerous sort of horror stories around um, AI and machine learning and, and biases. And again, that particularly comes down to the fact that the data set, um, you know, wasn't perhaps credible to begin with. I'm just curious how how do you ensure that your data set is the best that it can be? What, what processes do you go to to ensure that? So I know for ourselves, there's a lot of things we've been trying to do to improve our assurance of data and trust. Um, and we've launched within Rolls-Royce the Aletheia framework, which is um, open source. It's available for anyone to, to download and to kind of have a look into. But it's a, it's a framework that provides a number of checks and balances that almost helps you validate the, the richness, the goodness of your data and how you might either go about ensuring extra validity checks are put in place or are uh, introduced, but also give yourself those assurances. There is no easy answer to this, I think, Anna. I think it's a very difficult one. There's not a, a self-assured stamp that goes out there or a department that can kind of give you the thumbs up. But I think if you can vary the way you are assessing the, the data sets and what your algorithm is, is kind of splitting out at the back, you don't then need to lift the hood of the black box. And that's where everyone gets lost is I need to know exactly what my algorithm is doing to give myself confidence. Well, actually, I think there's checks and balances you can do before. You can ensure that your data sets are managed in a way that allows you to, um, to refine and reflect and to almost retest and, and verify 
I guess, is the is the, the methods that we tend to use. And then your outputs are constantly checked. You know, you're always looking for that anomaly and can bring that human intervention into to then address those. And I think you've addressed um, this question about, you know, supporting greater gender diversity from a data set perspective. I feel like there are a lot of checks and balances that that, that you're presently applying. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit more from a talent perspective. How can we support uh, greater diversity in the professionals that are actually getting involved uh, in this area? It's all about exposure. Um, all too often, you go down these routes and you think it's, you know, you need to remain being the specialist. And to be fair, one thing that machine learning has opened up and AI has opened up is the ability to bring different data sets from different domains, from different sources, even in different formats, um, and be able to synthesize them through, um, you know, algorithmic processes that allow us to then come out with completely different answers and opportunities. Well, it's the same for your people. I mean, it it has to be about not only seeing the role you do and the methods and the techniques that you apply, needing to have that diversity of thought, but also your own experience. You know, are you taking in, is your team filled with people who are coming from different perspectives, backgrounds, race, religion, genders, but also uh, domains and, and areas? I think one of the biggest bits we've seen within our squared and, and I've, I've started to see across different groups that I've been speaking with in communities is that you do not have to be a techie to do this. This is about exploring your own field of interest and then applying what is AL and ML techniques to it. Um, whereas I think possibly traditionally you, you needed to kind of come from a technological background to go do. I do feel that there's a the barrier of entry has really changed and we should be encouraging that. You know, organizations actively should be encouraging engineers to bring ML into practice and give them a safe environment to do that. But also procurement, supply chain, finance, you know, legal. The The application of this is in every walk, but it's that diversity of thought and experience that really plays into this beyond the technical diversity that it offers in the the methods, the the practices, the rules that you can you can go out and find and learn. This is is, is making me think more and more about um, the type of work uh, that that we're partnering on at Code First Girls. Um, obviously, we've we've done you know you've been supporters of Code First Girls as R Squared Data Labs and Rolls Royce um, for a while now. But I'm specifically thinking about when uh, we offer opportunities to women, whereby they can help sort of create products or algorithms. And, and one thing that I've noticed um, with a lot of women that we work with, when we get um, Code First Girls minds in a room, um, they tend to come up with products or ideas that have real social impact, and particularly social impact on women. So I'm thinking for an example of one of our cohorts, that not so long ago, after a Code First Girls course, um, actually put together an algorithm to help predict breast cancer something that has real social value real um, social impact uh i just i was wondering if you could just maybe reflect upon that and and you know how important it is to get um you know the type of women that we work with at code first girls thinking around these issues and thinking about products and solutions that have social impact it's absolutely huge there was a book that i read around invisible data 
um, and it's by Caroline Credo Perez. And it's amazing because it highlights the loss of that female lens specifically um, in a, a scope of areas, scope of industries. Um, and actually, the people that then suffer, the group that tends to suffer the most is our own, is the female community. And it's because actually what we do and how we operate and the way that we might uh, make our decision points is so different because of very real but invisible factors that the data collection process isn't capturing. And so that's where the thought of mind is so important because the data will miss it. And so I'm reflecting actually on the work we partnered with you on for Emergent Alliance and some of the groups that came through from the, uh, the Code First uh, Girls community and what they've been helping us to do as part of that. And again, I, I recall some of the comments that came back from, you know, very senior people of the organizations that we're working with in that alliance, you know, the likes of Google and IBM um, and ourselves included. And they just said we would never have thought of that, you know, that that perspective, that that viewpoint just isn't in this room for us to capture and wasn't in the data because you're bringing different perspectives, but you're also now bringing that missing data along with it or flagging it as not complete. And so I couldn't agree with you more, um, Anna. It's such an essential part. And to then offer up, like you say, social good um, opportunities off the back of that, the, the world is just crying for this at the moment, particularly our own. Do you think that there are any more resources or, or any, anything else that's inspired you around this topic um, that you could recommend to the community? So I've already, I mean, go on, thank you. I've mentioned uh, the Invisible Data book. I read it in a few days. So it's quite a big book, but it, it opens your eyes. It really does. Um, the others is just if, if you're interested in finding more around sort of the classic machine learning um, methods and techniques pattern recognition and machine learning by chris bishop's a really good book um, to go to and then again um for the modern side of machine learning and nlp speech and language processing um i think that's by dan jurevsky um so another the classic the cult classics in the in the books but i think you know for anyone looking to find out more or to put their interest further i my, my personal recommendation is those three yeah, amazing. And and also just I cannot believe the number of real everyday examples that pop up in the news. And I'm sure our listeners will know them. Um the, the news is almost like a daily source of of examples where sometimes when things go wrong or when things go incredibly well. Um, but particularly when things go wrong um around data sets and, and uh, gender bias with some of the world's biggest products, you'd be really surprised to what extent, you know, that the data sets have not had that female lens. And I just find that's a really good ongoing everyday source uh, about how the, the scene is, is developing. It is. And it's also um, a, a golden opportunity, isn't it? I think we, we should all be looking at this as a chance to now put your foot in a space that is welcoming of you um, and, and needs your imp desperately needs your input. Um, and I think that's that's really embracing. So, you know, agree completely in terms of the seek the normal chart you don't need to go anywhere special for this but also you know cast your mind on well how could you provide something that could improve on that because i think you'd be surprised it's, it's the simplest of actions that will probably make the biggest difference i'm just reflecting at the moment i'm reading a lot of literature around about sort of ai and machine learning um to do with viruses and 
predicting the kind of the, the evolution of viruses and, and how important health tech is becoming um, as well to the UK and, and globally. Um, so the, there's some really interesting and fantastic advancements that, that literally are having an impact on our every everyday lives. Manisha, I wanted to, to ask you very quickly about how Rolls-Royce have been utilising machine learning. Sure. Um, so we use it in a number of key activities for Rolls-Royce. Um, if I think about from an internal perspective, then we we basically one of the biggest areas we're really, really trying to drive our AI in is the digitalization of millions, I mean, genuinely millions of internal records so that we can make it available to our, our employees and our workforce um, in improving things like product design, development, manufacturing services, um, procurement. And um, what we're trying to do there is really enhance that intelligence so that it's taking those insights that they can then really move them forward into the new services or existing services. So we're improving what we then deliver onto our customer. Um, but that's not the only space. You know, we, we're looking at it from a supply chain optimization perspective, generative design, um, cybersecurity. And then there's the obvious one. So for anyone who happens to sit on um, a plane that has one of our engines, we're continually monitoring that engine and its health and supporting predictive maintenance. So when we are back into flying in the sky, be assured that it's had all of the relevant maintenance checks. It's kind of like your car. You know, it knows when it needs to get booked in, but it also knows what parts might need replacing or what, what needs doing to it well ahead of its time so we can keep people flying. So lots of spaces. Hopefully it gives you kind of both a customer end and a and an internal operation side of things. My stepdad is actually um, uh, a plane engineer. Um, so he relies a lot on the kind of internal systems to tell him about the health of the engine and things like that. So um, <laughs> it's, I know it all too well. That's our usual dinner conversation. <laughs> We're a fun family. <laughs> um, Manisha, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I was wondering if you wanted to leave us with any last thoughts, particularly to the women that might be listening that are really eager to develop a career in this space or to, to sort of find out more and to, to, you know, develop an opportunity in this area. I'm hoping that what I've shared is to show that this is completely accessible, but that there is a massive gap. I never realised how our voices as, as a female population, regardless of what walk of life you've come from, is so vital right now in a space that is growing in, in uh, increasing masses, but actually its barrier to entry is coming down at an equivalent rate. And so I would just say, if you have an interest and you're, um, you know, you have the time or the, the will and the want to go explore, there is just numerous avenues um, out there. But experience is the key here. Get in and start doing it. Don't don't worry about whether you know it all to do. I think it's in the process of learning um, that you'll get you'll get better, but also you'll grow that appetite. I can't, I can't express that more than what I've seen in the graduates, the interns, the placements that we've seen people come through in my team, in, in our squared and in Rolls-Royce, because you, no one's going to be perfect at this. The whole point is that it is continual learning. This is just in the digital sense and hopefully it'll unlock more, but um, yeah, go. I, I just think it's the, the time is now. You heard it here first, jump in, take a risk 
No one's the finished product. You'll learn on the job and it will be your biggest learning curve. Manisha, it's been an absolute pleasure and I hope to speak to you again soon. Uh, to learn more about machine learning, uh, sign up for our free, massive, open online course that we're hosting in partnership with Rolls-Royce and R-Squared Data Labs and the Emergent Alliance on the 25th of March. To join this free class, please go to our website and click on the courses button. In there, you'll receive a whole host of information and tips and tricks, and you can actually um, learn alongside hundreds of women and Rolls-Royce and R-Squared Data Labs. Thank you so much for listening. Please take a minute to go and leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us to climb up the recommendation in the Apple algorithms. So that will be wonderful. Take care.